0: You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome. branch of sunnington beach my name is andrew shea welcome on the live stream welcome on the patio out there yes so i wanted to give you guys that update on the building campaign because two hundred twenty thousand dollars is not you know nothing to balk at here i mean that's a significant amount of resources that have already been invested in this project thank you very much for that because yes we've completed the design phase uh since the video was recorded our third construction permit has been issued it's ready for construction the facility we can start building as soon as we'd like. Uh, A a clarification, the CUP is being submitted the end of this month. Uh, Likely with the you know time frame we've been working on that could be approved in as little as a month or two months and literally just we could be scheduling contractors to be outfitting the space. But like I said, we we require more capital. So I'm just inviting you guys into that. I'm giving you the vision for it. It really is an investment in the next 10 years of ministry that we're all gonna be benefiting from. If you think about the long-term lease that's on that space, It's as long as we've ever even existed, stretching all the way back to Rock Harbor, Huntington Beach. So if you can fathom that, if you were here those initial days, I mean, that's how long this space could be formative for us as a resource for the ministry that we're doing in the city. You saw the countless ways it's already being utilized. To be able to utilize it up to 250 people, I mean, we're going to be able to, you know, enable all the ministry that the Lord puts on our heart. We're going to be able to charge forward with it. So please join us. Consider prayerfully how you can give and how you can consistently give to that campaign above and beyond how you're already shouldering responsibilities here in this church family. But I want to jump into these scriptures for today. Matthew chapter 10. Would you open there with me if you get a chance here? You can also get a Bible, all right? If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We're passing out Bibles. That's what a church should do. And we're doing it. So if you need a Bible, go ahead, raise your hand. We're going to be reading through some verses here from Matthew chapter 10. As always, we're reading from the Word of God. You know, it's not about, oh, is this a good sermon? Is this a bad sermon? Did I like the spiritual performance? It's, man, we're hearing from God. We're hearing from His Holy Spirit. And hopefully we're all being led to a place of personal inventory and prayer regarding what this will mean for our lives. All right, that's what's taking place right here. And uh, certainly, we're going to be led to that place of personal inventory. Because last week, we looked at this commissioning of Jesus' 12 disciples out for this specific mission in Galilee. And, and, you know, we looked at that, seeing, you know, our principles underlying our kingdom work as we go about God's mission in our lives. And he was commissioning them with authority to preach about the kingdom and to, you know, do all the things he did in his ministry. But he was also sending them out like sheep among wolves, they were going to be under equipped. They're going to be brought before authorities and questioned, uh, beaten, jailed, even executed. So essentially, if the disciples were going to fulfill this commission that Jesus was sending them out with, they'd need to make his kingdom and him, Jesus, their number one priority. If Jesus wasn't their number one priority, he had just given them in our study last week about 20 reasons to quit along the way. So enter Matthew chapter 10, this final portion that we didn't read last week, where Jesus is going to establish himself as the priority of their lives, and by extension, our lives as well. Let's look. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me, that is Jesus, before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you, that is, his disciples welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You know, there are certain passages in the Scriptures that are termed the hard sayings of Jesus, the difficult sayings of Jesus. And this is essentially four of them in one teaching. Yeah, I think we all love it when we're working through the scriptures and we get to the place where Jesus is like, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is one of those passages where it feels like he's saying, come to me or else. You know, this isn't one of those petting lambs visions of Jesus, right? That a lot of us are accustomed to. This is like going to cause some soul reckoning. For every single one of us. This is going to cause us to enter into that spiritual, personal inventory. You know, our study begins with Jesus uh, speaking about acknowledging him. He says, anyone who acknowledges me in front of others, I will acknowledge before my heavenly father. Anyone who rejects me, I will reject before my heavenly father. So the inverse is also true. And of course, this is a general principle for all of us. You know, he's calling us to acknowledge him and not reject him. But I think, you know, they would have specifically in mind the scenarios that Jesus was speaking about at the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, our study last week. Because we recall, these disciples are going to be called before the authorities. And they're going to be, uh, you know, threatened with jail time, threatened with being whipped and beaten and ultimately executed. And the question is, in those moments where they're being asked, was Jesus raised from the dead? Is Jesus Lord? If they recant, they could save their tail in the situation. But Jesus says, "If you disown me in those situations, you will be disowned. But whoever acknowledges me and holds fast to their confession, despite those pressures, they will be acknowledged by me before my heavenly Father." That word for acknowledge is translated as acknowledge here is a, a form of public confession. Okay, it's not confession in the sense of like sin. Or like Catholic confession, it's confession like in a courtroom setting where you're being asked a question, are you this? And you're affirming it. So do you believe Jesus is Lord? Your public confession would be before others who are listening, yes, I do. You know, I can tell you guys, and this is to my shame, this is a confession, a personal confession of sin on my part, that at times I have been tempted to disassociate from Christ and I have done so. I have distanced myself from Jesus and from his church and from his followers. You know that and I did so because I was worried about the perceptions that would be placed on me in uh, situations of social pressure. I thought, "Well, oh, I don't know what these people think about Jesus." You know, and I know that the church as an institution has done a lot of harmful things. I know people have failed to live into his image, and for that reason I was ashamed of the name of Christ. I'm your pastor. Okay, and I can tell you there were times I didn't want to tell people. I avoided telling people I was a pastor because they might judge me. They might look at me a certain way. And so I was afraid, ultimately, of people. I was a bit of a coward in some of these social situations, but I could play it off. I could say, well, you know what? I'm going to emphasize my Christian example that's genuine apart from my words, To make up for all the people who had a lot of words, but they had no example. They had no integrity, right? That's my righteous mission. But Jesus has corrected me along the way. You cannot live for Christ unless you confess Christ. You cannot live for Christ unless you confess Christ. Unless you absorb whatever comes with the name. Good and bad, according to the perceptions of other people. Following Jesus means confessing him as Lord in a public sense. I'm not telling you to jam it down people's throats. I'm not saying forget your example. Live your example. That's fine. That's great. But accompany it with your words, with your affirmations. Embrace your identity. I have to embrace my identity. I can't say, oh, it's the failures of the church. I want to protect the name of Jesus. I'm protecting myself. I'm a part of the failures of the church. (laughs) All <laughs> right. Uh, and I don't have to play up everything the church has ever done, but I can play up everything Jesus has ever done. Because he didn't do anything wrong. Following Jesus means confessing him as Lord. The disciples had their lives at stake. What do we have at stake? You know what we might lose, the biggest threat is, you know, toward us is favor in people's eyes, the approval of other people. And you know what? That's no small influence in our world today. Because, man, people are heated. You got a lot of groupthink going on today. More groupthink than has ever gone on before, at least in my lifetime. And, you know, groups of people are consolidating into these thought camps, right? And they're polarizing away from each other. And, and guess what? Anytime anything happens in society, you've got to make a split-second judgment about what you think about it. And you've got to publicize that on your PR platform, which is your social media account. For everyone to either agree with you or disagree with you, you know? And you hope that you're landing on the right side. Because if you're not, you're going to face condemnation from the masses and rejection. The stakes are just as high in Christian community. It's no different in Christian community that need for approval and that possibility of rejection. So what do we do in these antagonized and highly sensitive times that we're living in? Jesus tells us, man, you've got to care a lot less about people's approval. You cannot be driven by the approval that comes from other people. You need to seek the approval that only comes from God. You see, because the two things are going to be in conflict at one point or another or at many points. What people want And what God wants are not going to be the same things. Even in Christian community, we don't get it right all the time as the church. So all the Christians can say, this is the way it's supposed to be, but God says it's going to be this way. I mean, people's opinions and God's opinions are not going to align. And that's why Jesus says, I haven't come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. And you're going, what in the world is this all about? I don't see Jesus with a sword. Well, you know, yes, he was bringing salvation. We got that from the beginning of Matthew's gospel. We... You know, have him teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the children of God. I mean, like, to be a child of God, to be offspring from our Heavenly Father means we are peacemakers. So peace is a part of it. He's sending out the disciples, preaching the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 10, our study last week, they're proclaiming peace. Okay, they're going around, but he says, look, this isn't just this, like, one love mentality peace. There's going to be a sword. Does that mean the disciples are, you know, packing heat as they go from town to town, you know, ready to blast anybody? I mean, you think about that, right? But no, they didn't even have an extra pair of sandals, all right? So they're not carrying around weaponry. They were commissioned in a nonviolent commission. You see that example through the book of Acts. So then the sword is not this literal idea that the disciples are going to be fighting in terms of physical violence, but they would experience conflict, That's what that metaphor of the sword means. Jesus was going to bring conflict. He was going to turn even the loyalties of family members against each other. You know, the reference here, again, is setting up when he talks about, you know, from Micah, chapter 6, verse 7, that citation there about family members disagreeing. It's, again, a discussion about priorities. We can't prioritize the approval that comes from other people, but we also can't prioritize our loyalty to family members. Don't think for a second that Jesus is sort of tossing out one of the Ten Commandments that's his commandments, you know, to honor your father and mother. And the Pharisees will do that later on, and he's going to call them out on it. But he says, look, if you've got a loyalty to a, a mother, a father, a son, or a daughter that's higher than your loyalty to me, that could put you in a situation where you compromise your loyalty to me. Following Jesus is all about prioritizing him above all else above all other human relationships, even the ties of family. A prime example of this call from Jesus played out by somebody in our day, not just back then, because yeah, they'd be, you know, kicked out of families back then, but you could be kicked out of a family today for following Jesus. The former pastor of Mariners, Huntington Beach, I met with him like just when COVID was hitting. Uh, I heard his testimony. He's since gone on to plant a church in Ojai. He's a great guy, and he, He told me he was raised in a Mormon family. and You know, it's a big Mormon family. I'm not saying that's cliche or anything, but a lot of family members, a lot of social pressure in the family to conform. And when he goes away on his mission, he starts questioning the Book of Mormon. He starts seeking Christ. He brings those questions back to his family. And his grandfather, who's the head of the ward, so he's local leadership, he's always been this jovial, loving figure in this individual's life until he started questioning Mormonism. And he sat down and he heard for the first time his grandfather's voice in a threatening tone. He would be excommunicated from the family if he rejected the Book of Mormon. The stakes were high. It's all his family members. That's his family heritage. That's his whole social support structure that he's got on the line. Not 2,000 years ago, today. Somebody who's ministering in this city of Huntington Beach. And he had to go through it. He had to experience that rejection. Some of you have had to do the same thing. Your choices to follow Christ have led to you losing friends and family. You know, your parents cried at your baptism, but it wasn't the same reason why parents cry at baptisms around here. You know, it's not like this fulfillment of this hope and expectation. It was your death to them. That's why it's so important that imperative Jesus gives us. We've got to be family around here because people have lost mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and friends. We need to be that for each other. That may not be you to that extent of needing to express your loyalty to Jesus over and above your family, but that's the chief extent that it could get to. But everything preceding it is also necessary. There's all kinds of subtle ways the loyalty to our family Can impede our loyalty to christ you know what if you're just you know functioning and driven by this pursuit of your parents approval they could even be long gone okay but you're still just driven by this picture of success that they implanted in you that you're trying to fulfill that may in some subtle and not so subtle ways stand against the life that god is calling you into what about the care of your elderly parents some of us at certain times in our life we're all going to be tasked with the care many of us the care of our elderly parents, you know, and that's all that your energy is poured into. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. It's something that God commands, but it can't be the only thing. Where is the investment beyond that? Where is the investment in God's kingdom? You flip it into the conversation with children, you know, just as much as seeking the approval of our parents is a temptation for us, parents seeking the approval of your children is also just as much of a temptation, if not more of a temptation today. You know, what if the views of your children as they grow and mature change and they're different than your Christian convictions? Will you seek to make peace with your kids or stand with your convictions in the gospel? I know parents, they've given up their convictions regarding Jesus because of the thoughts of their growing and maturing children. What about the demands of soccer and dance and academics? You know, the whole plot line of your family system How does that gel with your kingdom investment? Jesus is saying, guys, I have to be bigger than Little League. I have to be bigger than Kumon. I know it's Orange County. You love Kumon. I need to be more important. You don't fit me in after you've established your family calendar. You build your calendar, whether you got a family, whether you got parents you're taking care of, whether you're single, you build your life around me. Following me means I take priority over everything else. And that's a high demand, but it's in play, guys. When your boss at work demands that you work more because you're working 20 hours and you're getting paid for 40 hours, you don't argue with it, you say... All right, I get, I got to work harder. That's in bounds. All right. You're right to call me into that. When our maker, when our creator, when our savior, when our God demands the place of God in our life, it's in bounds. It's right. It makes sense. It's for our betterment. This passage is challenging. This journey that we're on, now, you could think of it like you know, this crescendo, we're going up, you know, uh, scaling this mountain as we move through the verses. Or you can think about it, like, more realistically, maybe this is a spiritual descent into a valley or a desert. And here we are, we're just shedding things along the way. That need for the approval from others, that need for the endorsement of family members. Now, finally, we're going to shed the need to serve even ourselves ourselves. Verse 38, are there any more stark words that Jesus says? Verses 38 and 39. Anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Here Jesus uses crucifixion as the metaphor, the defining metaphor for what it means to follow after him, to be a Christian, to be a disciple. You can run everything through that framework of crucifixion. And I cannot state enough how offensive and frightening and shocking this would be for his disciples in the setting of Matthew chapter 10. Because for us, none of us have witnessed a crucifixion. You know, we've got some images that we've seen in a movie, or you picture Jesus on the cross... Uh, Not many of us, not the average person here has even seen in person the level of real gore that a crucifixion represents, but they would have seen it. It was something that you can't unsee. You were supposed to see it, and when you saw it, it left an imprint in your mind. You bring up crucifixion, you say the word cross, you'd see what you'd seen. I mean, it was a form of human execution It was unparalleled in terms of the mutilation that someone would experience, the pain that they would experience, and ultimately the public shame that they would endure. I mean, we know the end of it. We know that you're hung there up high, your arms are spread wide, you're nailed to the beam, you know, you're asphyxiating slowly in front of people as they're mocking you, as they're jeering at you, as they're cheering your death. Those are your last moments alive. But he also says here, you've got to pick up your cross and follow after me. This is a reference to the journey the convicted criminals would take on the way to that ultimate end. They were tasked with carrying the beam that they were going to be attached to, staggering through the public square while people hurled insults and objects at them. You know, that was the journey that Jesus took. And he says, that's the journey you have to take. He's saying, you've got to be willing to put up with that total public humiliation that occurs in that setting and to resign yourself from all the comforts of life or else you're not worthy of me. That's a challenging thing to say. That's a sobering thing to hear. I wrestle with this. I've been walking with Jesus a long time to me now. I still wrestle with this Christ with a beam across his shoulders I can picture him stumbling through the town square having the insults and objects hurled at him and he looks behind himself to see who's on the path with him and he sees me lounging on the beach in 75 degree weather he sees many of you doing the same thing when I gave my life to the Lord at age 15, and I felt a call to ministry, I was willing to go anywhere and do anything for the sake of Christ. I laid it all out there, my whole future. I said, Lord, I'll be poor and destitute. I don't need any money. I don't need any success. Lord, I'll be alone. I'll be celibate. Didn't work out for me that way, all right? But <laughs> I was laying out there, I, I will do everything Lay it all on the line. You call me into it. I'm your man. Send me, Jesus. And then you look back at my life, how it's played out. And I got married. And I got called into a pastorate in Huntington Beach. Oh, what a cross to bear to minister in Huntington Beach of any place in the world. We bought a home in 2011 because the mortgage was cheaper than rent. Those days are long gone, right? Right? It wasn't a, a fancy time to buy a home. A lot of people didn't think it was a great time to buy a home, but we bought in. Well, that worked out for us. My wife ended up moving into an industry, a booming industry, for her work. she did much better for herself than I ever imagined she would do than we would do, not because of her talent, just because what about that industry, right? You know, I, now I look at my life on the other side of following Jesus all these years, and I think, I have everything. I have everything and I don't say that to you in like a sunshine and rainbows Instagram PR stunt for me like look at the coveted life of Andrew Shea you know is your life as great as mine do you have everything No, no 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 it wasn't all easy it wasn't all fun blah 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 fill in the blanks I'm just saying to you where Christ was made poor I'm rich and some of you have a lot less and you're still rich and some of you have a lot more and, of course, you're rich. But what do we all do in this setting of Orange County with a teaching like this? Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Am I just supposed to make my life implode? Destroy everything that I've built? Jesus is challenging our priorities. You know, he's saying, "Will you live for the continual gain to go higher and higher and higher and get more and more and more for yourself. Will you make choices at this stage, Andrew? Will you make choices at this stage, fill in your name, you disciple, to continue to serve your own interests or to serve the interests of God's kingdom? Technically, from a worldly standpoint, I'm set. I'm set. I've just got to sustain my marriage, which is very simple. And I've got to invest in my kids so they have lots of opportunities. We've got to run our schedule around all their opportunities. And I have to put some money away in a 401k and I've got to pay off my mortgage. And then I can embrace the life of Southern California leisure. That's the dream, right? But if my possessions and my comforts tempt me to believe that that's the meaning and the purpose of my life, then they will be to me the curse of Satan rather than the blessing of God. And that's exactly what they've become for many prosperity-seeking Christians. Their possessions and their comforts have become the curse of Satan because it's led to total spiritual irrelevance and slumber. Guys, I don't know if you saw in the news this last week, big news, Richard Branson went to space. Big, big news, all right? He went to space in a spacecraft that he built for his space tourism company, And, uh, you know, he's he's some, you know, 50-odd miles above the earth, you know, floating in zero-G gravity for four minutes, and he has, like, a speech prepared that they're live-streaming back down to us, you know, on earth. And he's, you know, going on this inspirational talk, like, I was a child once. And I dreamed when I looked at the stars that one day I would be among those stars. And now you children out there, this epic historic moment proves to you that you can look at the stars and you too can one day do great things. And it had, you know, just this total sense of, like, progress. The idea was progress. So, like, you know, human society is developing and moving. What are the possibilities in the future? We're going to create a utopia, wonderful, all that. And it's true that, you know, I got this message conveyed to me that that it is a form of progress, that the ultra-wealthy have developed new ways of entertaining themselves for half a day. (laughs) That is what we achieved. You know, you and I, we go on like a hot air balloon ride. And we get the same thrill. But they spend $250,000 to get four minutes in zero G and bumping their head against the side of the airplane, right? I mean, that's the thrill for them. That's progress. And do you understand, though, that like above my level of prosperity, above your level of prosperity in this country is another level. And there's another level. And there's another level, and there's another level, and another level. And guess what? Every single year we create new levels. And we create new forms of leisure for these different levels. What if we Christians would look at this life of luxury and leisure and say, you know what? It it doesn't have any luster. What if we looked at the pursuit of more and more and more and more self-satisfaction and comfort as one that's actually unappealing, one that doesn't whet our appetite anymore. See, because the way of Christ is the way of the cross. Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. He emptied himself of all that the Lord had given him. He became human. He died a death on the cross, which I just described as a picture of his self-giving love. If we want to be like Christ, we have to empty ourselves in the same way. If there's no cross in our Christianity, then there's no Christ. Because Jesus went to the cross to demonstrate that love. If there's no cross in our Christianity, there's no love. We've got to empty ourselves just the same way, no matter how high up we are, no matter how low we are. If we've got more money than we had before, then we've got to give more money than we did before. If we got more comfort than we had before, we've got to give more comfort to others who don't have that comfort than we did before. Not in a polite and manageable way. Let's break out the spreadsheets and think, how can we fit in this thing that was a footnote to our lives? In the total abandonment of the cross, that's the way we're called to give. You know, it's fitting that following the culmination of the ever-increasing demands of Jesus to be the chief priority of our lives, you know, shedding the approval of others, shedding the endorsement of family, shedding even like our own self-satisfaction and comfort, that he would turn his attention toward others, his servants Because a lot of times, the way that we love God and express him as the chief priority in our lives is by loving others. He redirects us all the time. He says, in this case, I'm sending out kingdom workers. If you receive those kingdom workers, you've received me. And if you've received me, you've received my Father in heaven. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. It means to serve his servants. Even a cup of cold water, the meagerest form of hospitality in the ancient world, he says, you're not going to miss a reward. I'm going to make sure that you get what's coming to you in eternity. And it just strikes me as we finish out our study, the total scope of what Jesus lays out here. I mean, he says on the one hand, I want nothing less than the totality of your life and all your devotion, that you would take up your cross and follow me. But if you give even just a cup of cold water for my cause, the smallest of gifts, I won't forget it. I'll reward you. I want us to realize this morning that this teaching, these kingdom principles, the same Word of God, the same Holy Spirit that spoke in the past, speaking right now to your hearts, is the same Spirit, it's the same Scripture, it's the same kingdom principles that prompted those responses already in this community, in these seats, in this room. There are people in our community prompted by this, prompted by the Holy Spirit, They did sell their house. They did sell all their possessions. They are on the other side of the world right now, emptying themselves of everything they have for the sake of love, joining with Jesus and his work around the world. So I can't come to you and make this some sentimental passage and say, well, let's lower the bar so we can all, you know, digest this in Orange County. I don't need to do that work. The Holy Spirit can lead you in what this means for your discipleship. And it may very well mean what it's meant for other people. You are going to sell everything. You are going to pack up. You are going to go. But we've also seen the other response too. Even a cup of cold water. It's the same kingdom principles. It's the same prompting of the Holy Spirit that happened in these seats in this room that leads people to say, okay, I'm going to go to teen mom's camp with Young Lives. I'm going to help out at the sign-in table at VBS this coming week. I'm going to make sure kids don't drown in the water at Common Ground Surf Camp you know, and be out there on the water because they're emptying themselves for the sake of the kingdom in love. And each person in turn is going to receive their reward and each person in turn is going to discover the life that's truly life. So again, I don't want to minimize the call that could be given to each one of us here for Matthew chapter 10. As evidence in my sermon, I've been doing a personal inventory. And I want to invite you to do the same thing in light of what the Lord is calling all of us into as his disciples. Would you pray with me as the band comes back up? Lord Jesus, you, you place heavy demands on us in this scripture. And yet, Lord, we know that your heart and your intent is life, life eternal. Lord, that we wouldn't take the definitions of life by this world standards and just parrot them and get lulled to spiritual slumber and irrelevance, but that, Lord, we would be awakened to your kingdom cause to what goes on into eternity. And Jesus, it's by your example that we find what that life is all about. You emptied yourself more than anyone could ever empty themselves. We don't have the capacity to empty ourselves of all the things that you emptied yourself of to show us your great love upon the cross. And yet, Lord, the invitation for us is to do that same thing. So, Lord, where we have resources and comforts and self-satisfaction and peace, would we share it abundantly? Not trying to work our way up the ladder of society, which is just this never-ending pursuit. But, Lord, that we would find life following in your way. Following you, Jesus, means confessing you as Lord, joining ourselves to your name. It means placing you as the priority above all else. Not building our life and then fitting you in somewhere in the midst of it, but going to you first and building our life around you. Lord, it means serving your servants and serving your cause in this world. So Holy Spirit, would you personalize this message and begin that dialogue with your disciples this morning. Who cares if it's a good or it's a bad sermon? Lord, we've heard from you. We're hearing from your Holy Spirit. Lead us to the place of inventory. Lead us to the place of discipleship. Move us deeper in relationship with you. Help us discover what you've made this life all about. As we walk after you evermore. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to observe this communion meal and if you're having trouble with the packaging, you take the wafer out first, then you pull off the seal and the juice. Otherwise, you're going to be fighting for a while. But I want us to recall the great love, that picture of the cross that I conveyed this morning. Jesus said it's on our behalf that he would suffer. And that act would not just represent our salvation, our peace with God, but it would become the metaphor for how we now find life. How we are called to live our lives. I invite you as you observe this meal, as we continue in worship, Would you continue to seek the Lord around the invitation that He's giving you to pick up your own cross and follow after Him? Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.